0: This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsandClosings.com, also known as Rock, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate, and reliable, the Rock is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. Welcome to Retail Retold. Today on the show, we have Shlomo Chop.
1: Shlomo is the CEO and founder of Shopfulfill and Anchor Shops. Shlomo brings a really fascinating perspective on the convergence of digital e-commerce and physical retailing. He said something on this show today that is profound, which is, There isn't a lack of demand for shopping for products in a physical store. There is actually a supply problem of great products in a store. I hadn't heard it put that way. And he says that all the hottest cool brands are actually in or on the internet and not found in stores. And one of the things that's happened is all these stores have similar products and you can find Pepsi and Pampers, my example, not his, everywhere, but that cool lifestyle brand, that cool hit brand that's online, that Instagram brand, you can't find in stores. And that's what he's looking to bring into his stores that he just signed a deal with in Philadelphia. I think you're going to find it really, really interesting. Long episode today, but worth a listen. But before we get there, I wanted to go over something that happened to me today. I was giving a presentation at the ICSE Open Air Conference, and I was talking about social media and its impact on commercial real estate. And one of the people in the audience was talking to me about how much time I spend on social media. I always say the same thing when people ask me. How much time are you spending on social media? And I say, not enough. And they raise their eyebrows at that because they view me as someone who spends a significant amount of time on social media. I then typically go into a simple math breakdown. To me, people who are creating business, generating business, doing work, should not be spending a ton of time in email. It's a reactive place it's not the best proactive communication and collaborative platform. Yet, whether you're an accountant, a lawyer, a salesperson, you get trapped in email. But how trapped do we get in email? And so I asked the audience, what, you know? how many emails does someone get in a day? And you get a lot of like 300, 200. But for purposes of this episode, let's just say the number is 100. I don't know how long it takes to go through an email. Some are five seconds because you just delete, some are ten minutes because you have to sit there and think. For argument's sake, let's say the average email takes one minute. And between the amount you send and receive, it's a hundred emails a day, which based on what I heard today seems light. But for round numbers, let's say it's a hundred. That's a hundred minutes a day on email. If you take that. And you take 500 minutes a week because five days. And you might be doing email on the weekends as well. But let's just say a Monday through Friday workday. Let's say 52 weeks. 500 multiplied by 52 weeks because you're spending 500 minutes a week. It's 26,000 minutes a year you're spending an email. Let's divide that by 60, 60 minutes to get to the hours. It's 433 hours spent on emails. And let's just divide that by a standard 40-hour work week. That is 10 full weeks spent on email, 10 full work weeks. So your 52 work week, 10 of them, all you're doing is emailing 20% of your time. I would venture to say that there's probably time better spent doing some other things. So as you're looking through your, you know, early in the year, better time management, I think a good place to start is email. And before you think, you know, whether it's social media or whatever it is, you don't have time for it. I would look and say, am I spending too much time in my email? We all have to email. There's no way around it. It's how business is done in corporate America. You can't ignore people. But I would look and encourage people. And there's a lot of things you can do to lessen the amount of emails you get. And, you know, to lessen the amount of emails you send. I would encourage people to think through, can they get some time back
0: by spending less time in email?
1: That's what I have for today. I hope you enjoy the show. I think it's a really great one. And look forward to talking to everyone next week.
2: Welcome to the show, Shlomo. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Shlomo,
0: why don't you tell us a little bit about who
2: you are and what your company does today? Well, my background is uh, pretty interesting, diverse, but focused more on the real estate side. Um, I was working for a flooring company and down the hole for me was a guy that would buy shopping centers across the country. And his thing was he'd buy a 10 cap with a grocer that did 300 bucks a foot. I'm enamored by that because I'm sitting there hocking flooring, trying to sell to, uh, trying to sell to the UPSs of the world. And a I sale to Xerox and there's this guy doing deals. So that was exciting to me. So I looked into it and I found it pretty interesting. So I got into, um, Got into commercial real estate, and my first real job in commercial real estate was on the tech side. Uh, I was hired by a guy by the name of Iris Lotowitz. He has a mortgage brokerage firm called Eastern Union, but he developed this piece of software to manage brokers, like a CRM for brokers. So I got in on that end and uh, was selling that software, sold to some really nice companies, including uh, Ackman Ziff, Collier's out of New York City. Uh, Back in the day, it was Collier's ABR. Um, even, uh, had a sale to, um, to Mark Similchap. I was headed out the door and then said, okay, I want to get back into the real, the real estate game, the buying and selling game. <clears throat> Did that for a while. Market tank, 2009 had an attorney friend, Amir Kornblum. He says, Shlomo, you gotta, you gotta really understand what's going on, in the CMBS stuff and read the CMBS trust documents start to finish And literally, it was was common sense how to restructure some of these things, but it was very foreign to a lot of my friend investors and did restructuring for a while. And when that petered out, um, got back into the investment side. And then the real estate, um, the retail issues, so to speak, hit. I'm not going to call it an apocalypse. I think it's ridiculous. I think apocalypse is is a good word for people who don't know what's going on. Um, Took a look at that and said, okay, we got to get into something unique and came up with an idea to essentially address what I believe is the underlying issue in retail and why it's been, to a certain extent, slow to respond. And that is, we're living in an age of technology where you can make a massive investment in the tech and by the time you install it, it's dated. And if you're a tech company, if you're just coding, if you have you know code on a computer or, or a, a web program, then it's a matter of sitting a few more coders at the desk and putting in a lot of hours and tweaking it and changing it. But if you're in a physical business, transporting product or selling product or anything like that, then what ends up is that you make massive investments and those investments don't change. They're very static. They're physical pieces of It's just physical, right? So how does a retailer that doesn't have the volume of an Amazon compete in the innovation game with an Amazon? So the idea was to put together a platform that innovated on behalf of multiple retailers and multiple brands, charge them a as a service in an as-a-service model where they pay monthly. By using the power of all these various brands and amortizing this expense across all the sales of all these brands and retailers, then you could have a proper innovative platform and, um, and move forward in, uh, in staying ahead of the game in retail, e commerce, et cetera. So I came up with something called uh, Shop Fulfill, which was essentially in its initial iteration, in our first patent application that we have is a combination of retail and logistics in a massive facility that serves as the hub or the mothership to distribute to multiple community centers, multiple uh, power centers to allow the stores to be smaller, but actually have a larger selection as a result of this logistics integration. Without going into great detail, um, that's morphed into where is the demand? I spoke to the largest of retailers and sat with, you know, their teams in a room and they're like, what a great idea. It'll be good for the next guy. I said, you know, what? this isn't going to work. And we looked where the demand was and we saw there's a lot of emerging brands that desperately want to come into retail. And what we're doing now in short is providing them the ability to get into retail for no real upfront costs, but also give them the ability to sell from the shelf. And by being able to put product on the shelf, allowing the customer to walk out, you essentially are able to, have a store that produces customers and is profitable on its, in its own right, which means that you're now generating customers at really no cost on a net basis. And that's something that any e-commerce company and brand would love to do. And that's what we're doing. I know there's a lot there to unpack, but that's, that's my background. That's the, that was the career. Trajectory wow. And that's where we are now. Wow. That is a, uh, that is a lot
0: to unpack just to try to, bring it back home for a second. What was the job where you were in the office with the guy who was buying shopping
2: centers? I was selling a commercial industrial tile to warehouses. So let's say they have a f- cracked floor. We have this interlocking vinyl tile that you'd lay over the cracked floor and you can run you know dollies over it and, and forklifts without a problem. And, and two offices down, there was this guy uh joe weinberg and he's a player he he's bought from you guys over time i'm sure you know who he is um and he would buy these properties you know across the country and it was just really interesting to me because sitting in new york you know growing up in new york what is a shopping center right i lived in the middle of the city um and just just you know seeing and learning about okay the grocer does 300 a foot they do well 350 they're really doing well 200 don't touch them right um and then saying okay the grocer's doing well we have a vacancy who do you put in here and you say okay you put an orange rents in there or do you put a um you put a tailor or do you put a shoemaker or do you put some other retailer sort of to fill it out and it was almost like a template where this guy was able to constantly do it over and over and over again and build himself a really great portfolio and to me that was really exciting um f- for two reasons i think i think number one just the ability to do that secondly i'm i'm you know i'm from the religious jewish community and historically when um our families came to the united states you know we we don't work on fr- on saturdays and the thing was, used to tell our, our parents that, hey, if you don't show up to work on Saturday, don't show up, just don't show up on Monday, right? Um, and what happened as a result is that the religious community started taking on jobs that does not require them necessarily to be in a certain place at a specific time. So my father became a computer programmer and that, that was later on after this issue has passed, but just from, from a culture perspective. And one of the things that the Jewish community got into was real estate. You know, you don't have to show up at a desk at a specific time you could own it and you have a lot of flexibility with regards to being with your family, which is very important to us as well. So just from that perspective, the real estate business at a whole really spoke to me and really resounded with me. And I found it really interesting and exciting. Got it. And that, that led to a a multitude of iterations where
0: you were in commercial real estate tech and ultimately you, you saw a hole in the marketplace in retail and came up
2: with shop fulfill is shop fulfill a store shop fulfill is uh, a platform shop fulfill is infrastructure okay it's it's essentially everything a retailer needs outside its core merchandising and sales capacity to sell product and bring the product to the customer
0: okay who are some of your clients today that you know you're you're doing shop fulfill for they're using your platform
2: so we're opening our first location in july um it's comprised of two facilities one is a warehouse facility in morristown new jersey and the other one is a retail facility in downtown philadelphia and that's opening uh slated to open in july
0: and so in the retail facility that will be emerging, a bunch of emerging brands in the location?
2: Yes, 100%. There is, you know, there are, you know, we hear all the bad news in physical retail, how, you know, all these brands are losing, you know, losing money going out of business. Cena Retail is down 90%, trailing 12 you know, Macy's down 35%. I mean, all this terrible, terrible news and people think, oh, physical retail is dead, but they're missing the point. It's not It's not a demand issue, it's a supply issue, right? The, the really cool products that you find online, unfortunately, you don't find in store. And the reason for that is because the guys that are coming up with these products, these innovators, these subject matter experts, just don't have the dollars to get into physical retail, number one. You know, a build-out is expensive and a landlord's not going to do a build-out for you unless you have the proper credit. And number two, you know having the inventory to put on the shelves, so even if you do open a store, how do you quantify it that it actually works for you? Yes, you could say the online sales increase, but you don't really don't know that for a fact until you close down the store, and that's sort of you know self-defeating. So what we're doing is actually giving brands the ability with no real upfront cost to get into a store on a month-to-month basis, put their product on the shelf. And whereas most real estate owners are looking for long-term leases because heck that's what JP Morgan is looking for, right? They want the long credit so they could go and give you a a mortgage and that's that's how real estate works. We're taking a little different approach. We're looking at the gap report, right? There's X amount of demand to sell a product in a market. We believe you, Mr. Emerging Brand, have a really great product. We will put you into a shop and set you up for success and we believe that you will ultimately sell. If you don't we actually have a very turnkey uh, way to sort of put someone else in your place without spending a lot of money. But the gist of it is we're taking brands who are dying to get into commercial real estate, to get into retail in order to cut their acquisition costs, and we're giving them a way to get in, and we're giving them a way to plug into an infrastructure, including logistics, meaning we put product on the shelf and cut their e-commerce fulfillment costs, at a very, very reduced cost. I mean, up to 60% quicker and 40% cheaper on that end. But we're giving them a way to be a retailer without the challenges that a lot of incumbent retailers have today with regards to lack of tech integration, with regards to lack of great product, with regards to even lack of great locations. So we're democratizing retail and getting the next generation of retail tenants into stores by starting them out in a small way where they could eventually grow to have their own stores.
3: Wow, that is incredible. And I I don't want to misspeak here.
0: Is this similar to Neighborhood Goods and show
3: fields? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Um,
2: in its pure, in its most simplistic fashion, it's a collection of multiple brands that are located with each other. They serve to benefit each other, right? You come to look for one and you end up discovering another. So you have that level of discovery. <clears throat>
3: But where we're different is that – and it's, I think the, the easiest way to explain it is that brands, emerging brands on their own,
2: need a way to grow their brands outside the store itself. What I mean by that is a store is a great location to sell product if you have product on the shelf to sell. That's a challenge with those two concepts. Secondly, a store is a great place to sell, but it's even a better place to have a resounding halo effect to cause online sales. And what we're actually doing in order to grow the brand is we're not being purveyors of space, we're being purveyors of product. There's a concept in... It's one of the most successful department stores in the world out of the UK called Selfridges. And Selfridges essentially is a group of many brands laid out across a department store. And it's done in a really great way where it's not just put down one near the other, there is a rhyme or reason. And it's very much focused on transaction velocity. I think some of what's happened to the really up and coming new retail shops is that they've bought into this concept of store as media, right? The store is a glorified billboard that's meant to drive awareness. And I say, if store is media, then diamonds are paperweight. If you're going to look at your store as a place just to drive awareness and not drive sales, both online and offline, then you're missing out on what the store can do for you. And then what we do beyond that is enable the logistics infrastructure. So if I'm a, you know, if you look at it, right, Amazon is all about supply chain. Target's all about supply chain. Walmart's all about supply chain, right? But yet, it's ignored by so many retailers and so many brands. They're all into giving a really exciting retail experience. Well, you know what? That experience is only enabled through having the ability to put product at the sh- on the shelf at a co- in a cost effective way. Meaning you're not shipping small boxes of UPS to put it on the shelf. You're actually shipping it in bulk and you're able to actually take from that bulk and put it on the shelf in measured fashion, not just to rack them high and let them fly, but enough that it's aesthetically pleasing, but also have a reserve amount of stock. But then here's the trick. How do you not have to have a separate pile of product for e-commerce fulfillment? What we're doing is allowing you to take one big pile of product, put in shop as needed, and we run milk runs on an ongoing basis to make sure that store is stocked. But from that same pile of product, as the e-commerce order comes into your website, and it's within the region that we will fulfill for you, that order gets routed to us, and we take from that same product and deliver it to home. And these regions are all localized. So the cost of shipping that product for e-commerce is cut dramatically. Furthermore, because you have product on the shelf, the customer, if they get it and they don't like it, they can walk it into the store and return it, which we all know when you return to the store, there's a chance of exchange. And when you return from home, exchange becomes a headache, right? So you give people the ability to have a home base to go and and visit that store. So essentially, we're not a new type of retail. We're the same old type of retail that there always was, except we're now tech integrated. And we provide, and, and we're, we're not changing, we're going back to the, to the origin, but doing it in a better way and in a way that works for small emerging brands that don't have their own massive infrastructure.
3: Going back a little bit, you said something that I haven't heard said so eloquently, and I'm going to have
0: to borrow it, which is we don't have a demand problem for physical shopping. We have a supply problem for great products. I think that is, you know, that's really interesting because so true. You go into so many stores that
3: they're all selling the same thing. And that is definitely a,
0: a demand from the consumer and that demand is, you know, demand for great product. And that demand was fulfilled through these e-commerce emerging brands. And now we're talking to someone who's bringing those brands into physical, which I think is really, really cool. You You did say something and I want to make sure we caught it. The, the difference between you, Showfields, and neighborhood goods. You said something about that that was a challenge for them, and I wasn't quite sure if you were saying that they're focused on the stores' media, or and there there wasn't it wasn't really about people buying the products. Can you just highlight, you know, again what you what you think the the difference between you, Showfields
2: neighborhood goods. Yes. And I think you could throw beta in there as well. There's a great, beta. yeah, there's a great podcast with my buddy, Chris Walton. He had the CEO of beta and the CEO of beta said, you know, we're not about selling product. We're about awareness of the product. He said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty spot on. Um, we've never had a meeting about transaction velocity. Okay. We're not about selling the product. There is a movement um, out there called stores media. And essentially it states that if your store has a great media value, I think a Netflix show is a lot of people watch it. Then therefore your store is more valuable because people naturally will be in the store. I feel it's a little, the tail wagging the dog, but you see there's, Immediacy in a retail environment is paramount forever, right? And you go into your local grocery, you're checking out and (laughs) there's a magazine, you pull it right, you take it, it's it's, it's an impulse buy. People buy product, even online, what's the biggest thing? What's Amazon investing billions in getting the product to you quicker, right? People want to walk the product out the door. Now, they may not want to carry it physically out the door. I get it, right? You have bags. You come from the mall and your bag's coming from all all sides. It's a challenge. But people do want to go home and try out the product they just bought. Um, And to do that, you must have stock on the shelf. And to have stock on the shelf and do it in a cost-effective manner where you're not paying $8 a product to have it on the shelf for to sell a $40 $40 product that to begin with costed you, you know, 13, 14, 15 bucks to, to sort of, to, to make, um, you, you need to do it in a better way. Now, historically, retailers, they would get pallets of product, break it apart, put it on the shelf, then store number 252 needed an order, you'd take 20 different cases, you'd put it onto a pallet and you'd send it out to the store. These emerging brands don't have that. So what, what Neighborhoods and Showfield does, which, which is a service that's often needed, is take premier locations, put the product on the shelf, and have people come in and see that product and learn about that product. And then the intent is that you will go online and you will buy that product. Now, just, just for clarity, I believe goods does stock. I believe Showfields does stock, but in a limited fashion. But here's the one thing that we're trying to differentiate, one of the ways that we're trying to differentiate ourselves, is that we don't want people to come to anchor shops. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people to visit brand X. We're looking for people to visit brand Y. Our goal is to take a brand in with a couple of products on a table and 10 in the fulfillment center. To grow, to be able to make money off of that product is a selling in-store and it's a self-contained profit center, right? Digital marketers just don't get it that stores are profitable in their own right. They think everybody is Sears. Um, And to take that product, grow your business and actually grow as a brand, say, okay, now I don't have 10 products anymore. Now I have 40 products. I'm now going to take a larger display in your store to where you actually grow your business even more and say, okay, now I need a shop and shop. I need my own little area to sell my product to where you say, you know what? I have way too much product to be part of a concept. I now want to have my own retail store. And the only way you could grow your business that quickly is to have retail stores. Otherwise, whatever money you're making online you're reinvesting into advertising and customer acquisition costs. So what we're doing is actually growing the brand and asking the shopper to visit the brand, asking the shopper to treat that brand as if they treated the Macy's stores. I could buy off the shelf, I could return, I could exchange, everything's there, okay? And in a worst case, it's buy online, pick up at Fulfillment Center, which by the way, the Fulfillment Center is mall-based and the fulfillment center has all the product you ever need. But here is the next step. Okay. When you walk into a store, you want to have a sense of where you're going. You walk into CVS, right? You where do you go? You have a cold, you go to the cold aisle. You have, you know, you have a baby, you want to buy a pacifier, or diapers, you go to that aisle. You know where you're going. Now it seems, it seems, the concept of having departments and aisles are just so passe. It's so simple. It's not cool. It doesn't have the runway. It doesn't move you to the right, to the left, The fast-moving product, slow-moving product. Sometimes science just overwhelms us to think that we're no longer human beings. The reality is when someone comes into a store, they want to understand where they're going. And the way Anchor Shops is set up, The oldest thing in the book is product adjacencies at co-tenancy. You open a super center and you have a GameStop nearby. They always work together. Everyone knew that because when the family came, you go and you could buy product in the GameStop. The same thing you want to have the beauty with the beauty product. You don't want to have beauty product here and clothing product here and another product there. You have to be a merchandiser of space because these individual brands don't have a self-contained store. They have product and it needs to be enabled one with the next and presented in the proper way. Fascinating
0: stuff you're talking about here. And you mentioned now anchor
2: shops, anchor shops is shop fulfill store. A- anchor shops is the consumer facing front end of shop fulfill, right? So you can give a brand all the infrastructure they possibly need, but you got to give them a place to sell product through. And what we've done is come up with a store concept that brings together multiple cool brands that have a specific point of view. So for example, clean beauty, right? Our focus is to have products that are good for you and products look good on you. Health and wellness focus, athleisure, family, home, I, this is, these are shops, and and we're staying extremely true to that. Meaning, we've had just an example on the beauty side. We've had some of the biggest beauty companies reach out to us and say, you know, we have this cool new product that we're trying to launch, and we'd love to bring it into your shops. And we've just basically said that we just don't see how it's a fit with our clean beauty point of view. Um, we've had. Um, large retailers um, that have approached us to say, we'd love to launch a new line in your store. And we just didn't feel that that line would be attractive or the large retailer would be attractive to our customer base. We're focusing on emerging brands, enabling them, brands that will grow and be with us for a long time. And we've decided not to bring, not to, go down the road with those brands. So it's important to have a point of view so that these brand, these, uh, that shoppers know that they could come to these stores and find brands that they know and love and brands that they will know and will eventually love as well, side by side with
3: each other. Got it. Well, that
0: is really exciting stuff, a different approach. And I hope that, uh, you guys continue to innovate and can really help some of these emerging brands get a physical presence because I think they're needed in physical.
3: Oh yes. Um, Thank you. So
0: let's pivot. You you guys just signed your first lease. You're going to open up your first store in Philadelphia. Why don't you tell us the story of how you landed in Philadelphia and how that deal
2: kind of came together? Well, well, thank you. Um, so it's 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 a really a testament to the landlord team, but it all worked out really well. So I I've been working on this project for close to four years. Um, it started out as something much bigger, focused on trying to solve for retailers that were otherwise failing. Um, and I've met with almost every major retailer, and I have relationships with a lot of the major real estate owners. And um, I was talking to one, and let's just say I wasn't that exciting enough for them. And after a while, when I expected to get a deal done, a deal didn't get done. And then I decided to reach out to Preet, Pennsylvania Real Estate Trust. And I reached out to the CEO, Joe Corradino. He got it right away, what we were doing. This was July 2nd, I believe. July 3rd, we had a conference call with his team. Within two weeks, I had a proposal on space. And they didn't just give me any space. They gave me retail space on the 50-yard line of a brand-new $600 million development that as part of the development has a train station with over 22 million passengers a year, literally hundreds of feet, a couple hundred feet from the entranceway to where our shops will be in July. And when you get that attention from a retailer and, and, and I'll tell you, they are retailers that unlike Preet are, I'm sorry, um, real estate owners, unlike Preet that are really doing badly and just can't see past the fog. And Preet's been someone that's been really on top of their portfolio and innovative about it and really, you know, focused on what we're doing. So that was the first step. And then when we looked at what we, what was proposed to us, we were like, this is absolutely great. Because not only did we um, get the space in downtown Philly, but they have a mall outside Philadelphia in Morristown, New Jersey, that allows us to fulfill next day for the price of ground in New York City, Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. Essentially. From the Hudson Valley down to the North Carolina border. And being able to cover that large swath of land at such a reduced cost, as well as have uh, a retail presence um, in a market that had, that's really dynamic was really, really interesting and really worked out very well for us.
3: Interesting. So the you went to a...
0: A, a mall developer about getting a, a a store open where you could put all these new innovative brands. They weren't getting the concept. You reached out to Pre. They got it immediately. Two weeks later, you had a proposal. How and, and not only a proposal, a proposal for a fifty-yard line location in a hot project.
2: What project is this? It's called Fashion District, Philadelphia. It's a a partnership between Preet and Maserich. Um, And it's in Center City, Philadelphia. And how big is this location?
3: It's 7,000 square feet. How many brands do you expect to have inside the location?
2: I think we could end up with up to 40 brands. And that means we'd approximately have 20 that would have a shop-and-shop between 100 to 250 square feet along the perimeter. And and there's some renderings on our website, anchorshops.com will give you a better idea. But in addition to that, we have a perimeter set of tables, sort of racetrack, that holds these shops and shops together. Where a brand could put down three products, or a brand could put down 10, or they could take an entire display. And then along the middle, you have sort of the you know the center aisle. that has got of a, got a lot of exciting and new products, either individually or you know separate from the brands in the shop, but also potentially from the brands in the shop as well. So we're essentially um, renting out space on a product by product basis. Is really what it comes down to. So you could have a, a brand, just as an example that puts three products into the store, has 10 additional products sitting in our fulfillment center for e-commerce fulfillment. And it's that is that um, quantity is able to be juggled between fulfillment center and store on an ongoing basis. So it really takes a brand that doesn't have much and gives them ultimate flexibility with regards to online and offline.
0: And so you were, You were able to get this spot for a retail location, and Preet was also able, not too far away, Morristown, New Jersey, is close to Philly. Able to get you a facility where you could set up
2: distribution and have a warehouse facility. How big was that? So it's a former Macy's, a former two-floor Macy's. I believe it was totally about 140,000 square feet. They redeveloped the front. They put in multiple tenants and they had a rear area that was 30,000 square feet that was still available and really um, a possible use was what we were bringing to the table, which is the fulfillment. And what's so exciting about that location is imagine this, you have a 30,000 square foot fulfillment center. What if you put a 20,000 square foot retail shop in front of that fulfillment center? Now you have an experiential retail shop with a massive backroom of having every possible product you could have. So our retail strategy is one that has three types of retail shops. One is the premier location. And the premier location is the downtown Philly location and it's an absolutely great location. The second location is our let's call it super center or a hub location where you have a larger shop but it's attached to the fulfillment center with all the product on hand and this fulfillment center not only can help you buy any product you want in, when you walk into the shop but is also still fulfilling its role of getting product on the shelves of the other retail shops in the region and fulfilling e-commerce orders as well and then the third type of retail shop that we have are small retail shops comprised of many brands on every major drag in the region. So we have coverage across the Philadelphia, South Jersey region, and we have penetration essentially on every major drag. And this is a future plan as as we move forward, but basically penetration every major drag. So if you're a, just, just imagine you're a retailer, you're a brand. You came up with a concept. It has a cool name. You have a great following online. You're selling all you can. You want to grow your business. You now can own the Philadelphia, South Jersey market.
0: Your passion is coming through and you're getting me excited, Shlomo. So (laughs) I am, I'm excited for you. You know, going back to this deal, is it a long-term lease?
2: Yes. We're doing a long-term lease. It's our goal to stay at that location for the lifetime of our business. Um, It's a great location. There's no reason to ever move on from it. So, your first location,
0: rents are high in Philly and this is a premier project. It's not inexpensive to get into a project like this. Was there a, a tenant allowance or are you building it out or are they building it out? Who's doing the construction of it?
2: So, I I really, really don't want to go into the details on it, but I'll say this to you. Assume for a second that we're doing all the build out ourselves. Even if we were to do that, and I'm not saying we are or we
3: are not, we still could get a brand in
2: with four or five products. It'll cost them four or 500 bucks a month to get in, and we'll make a nice profit doing it. And
0: and are the brands paying you rent, like a WeWork scenario, or are you getting a portion
3: of the sales? The brands pay us rent in
2: exchange for tech, payroll, space, and consulting. When I say consulting, a, you have X amount of product in store. It's selling at X rate. You have Y amount of product in the fulfillment center. It's selling at Y rate. We think we should swap out the store and the fulfillment center. Our stock levels are getting, are going, you know, going down on this specific product. This product isn't selling. Let's swap them out and send back some product to you, and you send us additional other type of product. Essentially, my co-founder has been in consumer space for 25 plus years, including running Banana Republic Europe. He was with the Honest Company. Um, so, this is you know we have not only real estate expertise from my side of it, and you know i've i 've done the whole leasing thing driving up and down Long Island trying to find a spot for a coffee shop, the breakfast side, the dinner side, et etc and these are things that these are things that brands don 't have, but with my co founder's expertise ryan wolf um the the just the ability to take a brand by their hand and guide them through the process is also a benefit so they're getting all that literally for a couple hundred bucks a month and and then they get the 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 fulfillment center presence at no upfront cost we just charge them pick pack, and obviously delivery
0: so the key for you is to have many brands in the location so that you can you know you you can get as much rent as you can from them and make sure that you're profitable and you can deliver a first class service is is that a key
2: yeah, it's it's essentially a rent per square. You know, we're charging rent per square foot. Well, we're we're paying rent per square foot, and then we're charging rent per square foot. But there's also there's also a law of diminishing returns, right? When you pack it too much, then you just have another ceiling, sure. right? So you don't want to do that. But 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 a space like this could really hold. Um, you know, we're thinking. Let's see from a, from a SKU level. Let's see. Um. this could hold over a thousand SKUs, a thousand products within the store. So there could be less brands doing that um, or there could be more brands. It doesn't depend on the brand, depends on the amount of products that we put into the store. And we'll always encourage the brand to put less product on the shelf and restrict it to the fastest moving product and the most popular product than just to, you know, just flood it. And is there any theme to the brands or is
0: it going to be an eclectic mix?
2: Within, within, within boundaries, there'll be a mix. I think the first thing is there ha- has, has to be a really heavy, um, it has to be heavily weighted towards brands that have a following that have been uh, determined by the market, by the consumer to be interesting in something that they want. Whether that means that they have a great Instagram following, whether that means that they're critically acclaimed, or whatever the 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 re, the um, the way that we arrive at it, and we have several ways that we do. They need to be a, a, prod, a product that actually is interesting, because the the first thing is right you could always get over a bad location you can never get over a bad product right that's the, the first rule in retailing um, you could have the best product the worst product in the best location and you won't sell anything so that's 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 the first thing now our point of view is very important meaning the consumer has to know we're going to anchor shops we know we're visiting brand x right because that's the brand that we love and we know we'll have other brands that fit our profile. So they have to know what is it that they're coming to visit. And as you mentioned, clean beauty is extremely, is extremely important, extremely important to us. Health and wellness, you know, it's, it's an environment, it's an experience is what you're coming to look for. You're not coming to us to find a wedding dress, okay? You're not coming to us to find a tuxedo. It's just not what we're doing. We're focused on home. We're focused on children's. Um, we 're not heavily focused on tech innovation it 's just not what we 're doing so the our our focus is to give the shopper um, a clear understanding as to why they 're coming to us because a lot of the other retails or service concepts are competing for your The competing for your museum dollar, right? Like should I go to the museum today or should I go look at a really cool retail shop that has a lot of great stuff in it, right? That's not what we're looking to do. That that's not sustainable. That's that's you know, real discretionary, you know, you know, something that you don't have to spend money on. We're actually trying to give you a space that you're coming back to because that's where you get your shopping done. And and we recognize that a lot of sales will be done online, maybe as much as 70% but it's going to be the second 70%. The first 30% of the process of the sale, in our opinion, will be heavily weighted towards the store. And by actually combining the online and offline and making it easy for shoppers to transition their shopping online to offline and offline to online, we believe we have something that will succeed for a very long time. And quite frankly, in some ways, redefine retail real estate from lease lines to a service. Wow.
3: I haven't heard that one either. Give me a lot of good nuggets in this episode.
0: Um, so, you know, go, going back to this specific location, the two weeks later you had a proposal. How long did it take to get a signed
3: lease? Preet's um,
2: been, it's been very very good to deal with. I, it's, they're, they're, they're fast movers, these guys. Um, and they're focused on not just chasing the obvious. Um, you know, so some, something that we have very much in, in, in tune with them um, is that, I'll just give you my perspective, and this just resounds with us, uh, we, we're very much in agreement, is that to just throw at everything about retail um, everything you've learned about retail and experience about retail just doesn't make any sense, right? So a lot of people have abandoned physical stores to look at retail shops and I'm sorry to look at e-commerce shops and saying, that's just the way of the future. No one needs to shop in stores, Stores have limited reach and online has a great reach and all that. And it's, it's on its surface. It sounds like a very good argument, but it's, it's, it's very flawed beneath the surface. Um, but on the flip side, on the flip side, everyone recognizes that the usual tenants that are there right now are going to change heck if if you don't no longer have to order massive orders from across you know across the ocean um, for months of supply by by its very meaning, you no longer need to have massive stores because you could replenish more. Reactively, right? So, so what they see, what we see, is that there is a new breed of retail, not a new breed of retailer necessarily, but a new breed of retail, and you have to stay ahead of the curve. And they've made this a real priority to to get to get this done with us, and we're very great. That's great.
3: So we're we're running short on time here. The
0: I think. The One of the the biggest takeaways that I think for me in in this story was the fact that you not only did a retail location, but they also provided another location in a different town at a different property where you put your fulfillment center, which I think is clever and is going to help you, you know, uh, be successful. Anything else we didn't talk about that you think it was unique about this deal and how your, this deal got done that would be helpful to the listeners or did we cover it?
2: I I, I, I think we covered it, but I think, I, I, I do think it's important. And the one thing I would say as someone coming from a real estate investment background and I own retail shops and I, 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 I lease well, own retail properties and I lease to retails is, is that, is that it's, you know, many landlords look at up and coming tenants and with, with, you know, it makes sense. Like what's their credit? How do we, you know, what do we do? What do we figure out? How do we get them in? But, but ultimately if, if as a retail owner or as a retail real estate owner, you buy based on location and not based on leases, right? Because that's, that's, that's a differentiator between, between a such as yours, for example, and some guy making investments, right? You guys will look at a piece of real estate and say, we know it looks like a total piece of garbage right now, but this thing is a gold mine, right? And then somebody else's investor goes, what does the lease look like? Oh, the lease is only nine years. I can't get a finance. Too bad. Have a good day. I'm not doing it, right? Looking at up and coming retailers and brands has to be looked at in that way too. And the, the challenge of build-out is, is, is significant, don't get me wrong. Um, and there are some solutions around it, but, but generally it's a challenge. But it's important for the, for the survival of, of retail real estate, not because it's, it's heading to an apocalypse. No, it's, it's just you have to maximize what you have to sort of look at, at, at retail tenants as a value-add project individually. And, and if there's one thing I would sort of try to impart It would be that. All right.
3: We're going to go to the last part of our show. We're going to have to make it quick because we're running
0: short on time, Shlomo, but it's called Retail Wisdom. And so, I'm going to ask you three questions and you tell me uh, the answers to those three. So, one, best piece of commercial real estate advice out there. Maybe you just gave it.
2: Um. (laughs) I would say the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in business is that after you do all your analysis and put everything on paper and do all your tours, just go what you got. If your gut's telling you there's an issue here,
3: don't regret it. Just go what you got. Love that advice. Second question. Extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead. Service merchandise. We're trying to bring them back from the dead.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I've gotten that one a lot on this show. I, I think that was a, uh,
3: a, a fan favorite from a lot, of, a lot of people. And then third question. I'm online. I am looking at the Nero He silicone shoe covers. They're
0: shoe covers that go over your shoes in the rain and protect your shoes. What does a pair of Nerohi silicone shoe covers go for? You don't need rain boots. You just put oh, these shoe oh. covers on.
3: It's
2: They're sound, disrupting
0: yeah. the rain boot industry.
2: It sounds like fancy galoshes, if you ask me. It's okay. <laughs> it, it can't be $5.99 because that's what the off-brand is. Ah, let me take a stab. 19 dollars
0: You're closer on the first. It's $10.99, but thanks really? for playing. <laughs> Listen, Shlomo, it's been great. I really appreciate it. It's been fascinating, and... Good luck and I hope to connect with you soon. Thank
2: you, Chris. I really appreciate
0: the time. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at Retold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals, from all perspectives, so it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you
3: don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.